Hello everyone and welcome to the Cocky Top Podcast, a sports podcast from an unlikely pair of fans where we give you the team breakdowns from our individual fandom's perspective, as well as our thoughts on teams across college football. So to all you volunteers and Gamecocks and everyone in between, let's kick off. That's right, all you cock involves. Welcome to another episode of the Cocky Top Podcast. As always, I am Brian the Gamecock. And I'm all of all Tyler Mack. And we are bringing you week three of the Cocky Top Podcast, mm-hmm. or episode three, week three uh, of the SEC, or just uh, foot college football schedule in general. Of course, we got to have some fun and experience what would have been week zero with several yeah. fun games including uh, what would have been SEC perennial powerhouse whenever it comes to IQs and keeping the conference GPA up where it needs to be, and that is Vanderbilt, who unfortunately did suffer their first loss over this last weekend to ACC. I don't want to say contender, definitely good opponent in their own right in Wake Forest, who's actually been fairly decent for the last few years and just gives the, the ACC fandom another notch in the belt, another feather in the cap, another I mean, yeah. point of contention to you know, to the, poke fun at the, the, the ACC has, SEC has been right our now. only competition in the last few years. Yeah, and they're the and, only ones that have really stepped up and and in listening to some to some other outlets and stuff like that, it seems like the the transfer portal has definitely been a a very huge factor in in the ACC being able to to take a step forward and actually have some more contention and maybe even see multiple ACC members in the playoffs this year and, of course, moving forward past the 2024 season. I mean, look at what Colorado's season. done in his oh, second sure. year using the transfer portal, making the transfer portal work for him. Oh, for sure. Of course, uh, first at what would have been Jackson State, mm-hmm. and then now going out to Colorado. Speaking of uh, Coach Prime, that is Deion Sanders. The Deion Sanders. The Deion Sanders. Being able to utilize that transfer portal to his advantage, and yeah. not only that, like I mean, a complete revamp. Ninety-five plus percent of the kids that were at Colorado last year mm-hmm. are not there this year, and all of those, of course, students transferred in. I think it was 85. Yeah. 85 out of the the allowed 100, I think it's 150 that can actively be. Yeah, 150 be can actively On be. a roster yeah. or whatnot for NCAA. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> definitely considerably less than what the 53-man active roster is available for professional football. Yeah. Almost a complete overhaul of the entire talent pool that is the, the Colorado Buffaloes. Making waves, man. I mean, taking out uh, TCU week one, and then, of course, last week, uh, beating Nebraska, which, of course, Nebraska has not been no, what the they Nebraska were from the 90s at one point stuff, in time. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, um, just coming out and making those statements, being like, you know, we're here. Um, and that's someone that's using the anything and everything right now as bulletin board material. If people are going to dish it out, Prime's going to use it. And and in this instance, compared to one that we'll discuss a little bit later, yeah. considering who South Carolina plays this week, and I'm sure any of you listening that really follows collegiate sports, especially SEC, uh, will know what I'm talking about as far as the usage of, of potential bulletin board material for trying to get your team amped up. 
Colorado State, which is who they'll be playing. It's Colorado, Colorado State. For this week, uh, State's coach said, whenever I talk to anyone, especially elders, uh, I take my hat and glasses off because that's what my mom taught me to do. And then on the flip side of it, because he's talking about Prime and about Dion and, and some of Dion's players whenever they're doing interviews and stuff like that, he's taken that and is using it for bulletin board material. Basically, I we weren't saying nothing. We didn't say anything. We were preparing, doing like we're supposed You're to do, call getting us ready out? for a game, and y'all went and made it personal. Yeah. And that's the mantra. Saying we're unprofessional. Right now. Like, dude, and it's 2023. Yeah, and y'all are going and making it personal. So that is, that is, in my opinion, decent bulletin board material. Oh. Like if, if someone make out and out makes that statement, even though it's a backhanded statement, but Especially you know who they're unwarranted. talking about. We didn't say anything. Yeah. The one that I was alluding to just a moment ago mm. is the fact that South Carolina, of course, does play Georgia this week. During SEC media days, one of South Carolina's defensive linemen, Tonka Hemingway, was asked, in his opinion, because he's a senior this year, out of all the stadiums that he's played at around the SEC, what some of his top most intimidating and loudest places to play at, stadiums to play at in the SEC were, and he named Texas A&M, he named Neyland Stadium, Mm-hmm. Both of those with 90-plus thousand people in those stadiums. And, of course, Texas A&M, they claim to be home of the 12th man. If you travel over to Mississippi State there in Starkville, I know you're going to have the cowbells, which makes a lot of noise too. Mm-hmm. But the the 12th man and then the over 100,000, was it 108,000, 110,000 seat stadium capacity that Neyland is, not Just whenever you have not anymore. Now we're at like one oh one something. Oh, it got all dropped down to all the. Uh, we the were at one point like one oh two, four five five something like that a couple years ago. Then they've started all this new reconstruction of like building but a still, whole new jumbotron. But, but still, still you're at a hundred thousand people. Yeah being packed into that stadium yeah absolutely and just that many people in general i don't care who they're cheering for just you're just going to have that amount of noise in that place saying all that to surmise and get back to this that during kirby smart georgia head coach's press conference Mm -hmm. uh preview press conference for the south carolina game this week a reporter asked him it's like, hey, so uh, SEC media days, whenever South Carolina defensive lineman Tonka Hemingway was asked about the, the loudest, most intimidating stadiums that he's ever played in, uh, Sanford Stadium was here in Athens was not listed among those. And then that was just flipped and turned into, I mean, it, he didn't say... I mean, he answered the reporter's question at SEC Media Days. Hemingway did. Tonka Hemingway did. But then, and it may have been the same reporter, I don't know. Like a bait question. Yeah, then All turned right. around and and presented this to Kirby Smart just to try to provide bulletin board material. So they're like searching for something to be able to get their team amped up, or he's searching for something to be able to get their team amped up. Because they are back-to-back national champions, and they have, albeit I know South Carolina is on their schedule, as well as the rest of the SEC East, Uh but 
for the most part, Georgia has a cakewalk schedule yes. for this entire season. I mean, they're right around like the hundredth toughest. I mean, let's be honest, man. They've they've had a cakewalk schedule for years now. It's gotten At least to be the last that five, way. Six years, it's but been. that's that's what it seems like. Whenever you get most of these teams that do win what would be the national championship, especially since there has been what would be the playoff system, mm-hmm. as it were that that's the case that those teams that have had the easier non-conference matchups or if they're in a conference that in it in and of itself just is not a very strong conference referring at this point to either the Big 10 or the yeah. the ACC there weren't as many schools in those conferences that were near the top i know that it's been said through many outlets many shows whether it be podcasts actual telecasts whatever that cover college football Mm -hmm. uh, just in general would say okay you've got georgia and alabama in the sec then you've got a good bit of distance and then you start getting into tennessee and auburn and lsu and stuff like that into some of those teams and then you'll wind up having a good bit more distance and you get down into the the mizzou's the the south carolina auburn for right now vanderbilt that sort of thing arkansas Uh, into those tier teams but looking at it as a whole and the same thing happens in both the big 10 acc pac-12 like big 10 you've got michigan ohio state iowa but then you've got a whole lot of disparity at that point Mm -hmm. until you hit what would be the second tier of teams and then of course another good bit of distance a talent gap if you will before you hit that lower tier teams so if you look at it as the whole picture kind of what the what the AP poll should be, you should see typically, and this is how it does kind of come about most of the time, is that you've got, you know, Georgia, Alabama, one, two, or one through four, somewhere around in those places. And then you'll see the Ohio State, Michigan, at times Clemson, now FSU, thanks to the portal, is now being in that contention. Yeah, that's another team that's utilized the heck out of that portal. Is Florida State, for yeah. sure. Uh, South Carolina knows full well the the talent that has left from from South Carolina yeah. and what this last year would be uh, going to Florida State. And look what it's done for them. So, I mean, you, you take people out of the SEC and put them in other places, and a lot of the people that transfer out are people that are in the two and three deep. Mm-hmm. that would probably not see as quick of play time but are just as good a caliber because they got recruited to an Alabama, a Georgia, mm-hmm. uh, a Michigan, an Ohio State, a Clemson, a uh, Penn State, uh, um, you know, those places that they're the Blue Bloods. Yeah. All oh, of your yeah. collegiate Blue Bloods, you're getting a lot of what they're, like I said, second and third string people or even third and fourth string talent are going to some of these other known schools but being able to get on what would be playing right off the bat, going from third and fourth string to becoming a starter mm-hmm. and developing themselves even better as opposed to waiting and only being able to have maybe one or two years at max in the spotlight at a particular position and having a lot less time to be able to present to the the scouts, the, the NFL uh, what they're capable of mm-hmm. and being able to, like I said, go ahead and find a way into the league and, and doing that at these other schools that are not or had not been the cream of the crop, the tip of the top, 
of what college football in the different conferences has been for quite a while. Getting a little bit off of our soapboxes with some of that stuff, yeah. um, just because, I mean, I know that is a, a contender that we're getting ready to face, and I know that that's something that's very popular right now is you've got schools like Colorado that are being, you know, gifted on a silver platter motivation and then on the other end you've got a, a team that went won one game last year is being handed on a silver platter motivation while you've got the the two-time looking for a three-peat national champion is having to to find something to dig to for dig motivation to try to motivate their staff and to motivate See, that's their the thing crew. Is, is the longer you're at the top the more comfortable you get the harder it is to find motivation I wonder if it's a situation where Saban in this aspect with Alabama is welcoming the fact that they've lost this game. Speaking mm-hmm. of, we're going to get into around the SEC here in just a moment with the scores and stuff yes. from week two. But, yeah, Alabama loses to Texas. And, I, like I said, I wonder most any time the last, you can say almost decade, that Alabama has lost a single game that they turn around and wind up making a spanking a, a run and are in the playoffs. Yeah. Regardless, I mean, yeah, they didn't make it last year. Well, he's probably really happy that it happened in week two. That's true. Early. That's true because now you've got and they the aren't entire a conference loss yet. Yeah, it's no conference loss. So they, while yes, they will have that that marker tick mm-hmm. in the L column. It's not conference, so all things can still happen yeah. as far yeah. as the SEC is concerned. If it continues the way it's going. And, and SEC teams get bumped down further and further on the list because of having the out-of-conference losses and stuff like that, that we may actually have the first playoff not have an SEC team in it. I mean, of course, Georgia right now is still a major contender. Everybody's still a major contender, yeah. but there is a possibility well, by be, the end of the be, season. It'd be really weird if we didn't have at least one. Right. We typically have two. There's two probably two SEC teams in the playoffs. If you were to look at it right now. If you were to look yeah. at it. A few years ago, Bama and Georgia were both in the playoffs, and it's like well, that was two the SEC national teams. championship that was a national game. championship game. Yeah, but now you know it's looking like okay, we may only have one spot for an SEC team. The way that things are happening for this year. But now, then, if something were to happen later, that's even crazier, and we have our first playoff, our first Final Four, and no SEC in it. Right. The people year. wouldn't shut up. They wouldn't outside of the SEC. Oh, you God, would hear wouldn't. the biggest, like, oh, they're they're not all. But I would say, I'd worry about the next year if I was them. Right. If we have a season where there's no SEC team in the Final Four, well, see, that's the, the thing next. Is, that is the entire SEC's chalkboard material. Right. <laughs> the next season. Well, the thing that I was going to get into as far as next season. Next season is guaranteed at least one. Yes. With the way we go to the 12-team format, playoff format, there's guaranteed at least one because you're going to have uh, all Power 5 conferences are going to have what would be the conference champion. That's a guaranteed spot. Yeah. Then you're going to have what would be the uh, – or, sorry, six six conference champions that they're listed as now and then six at-large bids, which basically would pretty much be the runner-up. Mm-hmm. So, and maybe not that – because I feel like if you played in what would be your conference championship and you lost, that should be the elimination from potentially being able to go to the playoff spot. Because no, I absolutely not, agree. 
you're going to have, all right, well, it's basically someone from the east, someone from the west, someone from the east, someone from the west. Absolutely agree. If you if you lost your, your conference championship, you, no. That's, that's an elimination from Absolutely. being able to take that number two spot. Yeah. It would go to, like, the number three spot in in what conference rankings would be and that would have to be power rankings of the combined conference of course next year the sec is going divisionless yeah uh, as far as an east west but we may be going ahead and seeing the early formings of what would be basically an nfc afc mm-hmm. that is more than likely on the horizon for collegiate sports absolutely you will have an nfc north south east west and afc north south east west as the the prime i guess you could say college football teams like if you make it in this then you are in the echelon and it it might be something to where it's like they end up splitting things down the middle and it's like this is the eastern football conference this is the western football conference right for college and within the eastern football conference is 20 something teams 30 something teams Right. For the big boys. Over here, there's 20, 30-something teams of big boys. So, And then at the end, East would meet West and in, Super Bowl. And what would be, yeah, the Super Bowl, the yeah. collegiate Super Bowl. Which, in all and honesty, we're heading that direction anyway. We might as well. Yeah, go ahead and do it. I mean, you've got players getting paid through NIL at this point. Uh, the next hurdle would be the the classification, like how – who – who is going to be in the the super? Mm-hmm. I don't want to say conference anymore. Just who's going to be in the league? The league. Let's just go ahead and call it the league. The college football, the CFL. Yeah. Instead of the NFL, it's the CFL. The college, college football, football league. league. Um, You'd have your. I mean, and with the college football league, you could have a hundred and something teams in it. Unlike you know, NFL is like what thirty-two teams. It's thirty-two. Thirty-two teams. Where in college football, if they play that well, you could say, like, okay, we're going to have 60 teams in the college football league. Now, these are 60 of the best. And especially so if you played like, it like soccer is yeah. over in the U.K. Uh, or football in the in the U.K. Yeah. Uh, the worst gets knocked down. And the best of the lower ones gets in the CFL. So, like, if, they're, if your football club loses in, like, D1. Right. Uh... The worst in D1 has to go down and play D2 for a year and try to earn their way back in. Okay. And the champion of D2 gets to play with D1 the next year. Okay. So if they play it like that, like say Vanderbilt didn't make the top 100. Right. They in would original be, teams, they'd be like. Yeah, say they were in the D2. Second. They'd yeah. ma- we, they would just call it, you know, a D2 or a, you know, of the, it's be, it'd be under the CFL, but it wouldn't be not college football. Right, there'd be like something else. It's, it's it would be a new naming for FBS versus FCS. Yes, because you know football bowl subdivision, mm-hmm. football championship subdivision. Yes. You'd have CFL and then you'd have like LCFL, lower co- college football league. Yeah, if you played it that way, that truly is like you earn your spot. Oh yeah, it's not where you came from. It's not how much money you have. It's you've played for your spot. Right. And, and and say we put 60 teams, mm-hmm. you have the East and West Division. You start off with 60-whatever teams, but you only take what would be the top 16 teams of those divisions, and that's where your playoff yeah. I- is made. Yeah. 
Might as well I just go ahead and split the country right down the middle. Right, right. I say do it. Just split it right down the middle. You have ever and Texas is the midway point. You yeah. have everybody that's in East Texas goes is in the, the Eastern east. Division. Everybody in West Texas goes to the Western Division. Yeah. And then any schools that fall on whatever side of yeah. that line is, they're in that one. And then you take. Call it the College Football Meridian. I yeah, don't, I don't the, care. the CFM. The CFM. Uh, and then you take um, whatever that the the teams that are in that, and you can basically say any FBS teams that are in this league at this point, we will rank them one through whatever, and that is those teams are the D one or mm-hmm. the the uh, um, the higher level yeah. uh, of what CFL would be. Or in this case, the the FBS yeah. of those being transferred over to uh, CFL East mm-hmm. D1, mm-hmm. and then any of your teams getting into like your Middle Tennessee State or or yeah. UT Martin, any of those that are classified as those FCS teams, would wind up being CFL East D2 or D3, depending on how many you wanted to put in each one of those divisions. And like you said. If you wanted to move from D3 to D2, you would just have to make sure that you were constantly on the top of D3. Then you constantly win at that level. You move and take the spot of whoever's lowest in D2. Mm -hmm. If you can somehow miraculously play through a a full year and, and... be a champion or whatever in what would be the D2 level, then we're going to bump you up to D1 in place of someone who's at the bottom of the barrel in D1 will get bumped down that next year into what would be that D2. I think it'd work. It's a great format. It's a great idea. Um, I know that the the college football fandom would be the biggest area to where you, know, you would have a lot of yeah, kickback and stuff like that, but... This portion of the Cocky Top Podcast is brought to you by the Gatlinburg Brewing Company. With 16 craft beers on tap and brick fire oven craft pizzas, GBC is the place to be in Sevier County. Gatlinburg Brewing Company has two locations to visit, one on the strip of Gatlinburg and one at 870 Winfield Dunn Parkway beside Tennessee Legend Distillery. When you stop in, tell them you heard about them on the Cocky Top Podcast from Legends Studios. Enjoy, and cheers to you, Legends. Well, we've gone through quite a bit of stuff yeah. with with our thoughts on, on the college football realignment and how the potential things could shake out with that stuff. Before we get into what this week's matchups would be, we want to take a moment to go through and give you a quick score recap of everything SEC that happened in Week 2. Majority of the news, uh, positive and negative, came out of the SEC West. Yeah. Uh, week two would have been. Uh, Auburn, of course, traveled to California for a late kickoff. Very uh, late. They wound up playing Cal, uh, but did get the dub. Uh, wound up winning 14 to 10. Uh, was definitely late in the game, but did come away with the W. Another, another one in the win column for, yeah. um, for the SEC, uh, making sure that we're not completely. Uh, gone by the wayside with that. Um, continuing in the West, Mississippi State uh, welcomed Arizona 
into into their home turf. Uh, wound up getting the win there, 31-24. Um, LSU, um, no surprise there. They played Grambling. Um, for those of you that don't know, Grambling, well, I really don't know either. So yeah. <laughs> so if that tells you anything, uh, they won rather handedly, 72-10. to um, Arkansas welcomed in Kent State. Uh, mm-hmm. Won in rather somewhat convincing fashion, twenty-eight to six. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ole Miss welcomed in what would have been former SEC member in Tulane, the Big Green Wave. It wasn't enough for Tulane, even though they were ranked. That was a uh, top twenty-five matchup. Number twenty Ole Miss versus number twenty-four Tulane. Ole Miss does get the win, thirty-seven twenty. A and M losing to Miami, another SEC to ACC loss. Miami took it to him. If you didn't watch any of that that game, uh, final score wound up being forty-eight, Miami thirty-three, Texas A&M. But the big one, of course, that everybody has been talking about, and we're not going to say it. You can say it about uh, Texas and and their relativity. You know the statement. I'm not going to well, say it. Texas is back, baby. But yes, number eleven Texas takes down number three Alabama Crimson Tide thirty-four to 24 sending social media into a a huge frenzy uh, multiple people already either calling for the the release or the retirement at this point of one of, Nick, of Saban. One Nick Saban uh, which is more than likely not going to happen until no. he himself decides he is ready to step down and leave uh, but yeah definitely some some topsy-turvy coming out of the west well and it's just it's week. just goes to show how how college football fans just suck look at what saban's given alabama since in his tenure oh the number of championships the number of division or conference division national championships that have been awarded and he loses during that texas. time he loses one game to texas and everybody loses their mind it's time for him to retire get rid of it yeah, he's I'm done like, he's washed really up. yeah what have you done for me lately? Yeah, that's that's, that's, that's college fans. fandom anymore, or yeah. just football fans anymore. Yeah. And and not to beat a dead horse, but the the social media being able to give instant gratification or the accessibility. Yeah. Now I have a way for everyone to hear my technology. opinion. Yeah. Moving over to the east, of course, be remiss if we didn't go ahead and mention Georgia. Uh, Georgia playing Ball State. The Ball State Cardinals, mm. while that first half looked very abysmal for Georgia, they did manage to go into the half up 31 to nothing and then finished out the game at 45 to 3 over Ball State. But it was not looking good uh, to begin with for the Bulldogs. Was mentioning Vanderbilt earlier. They had started off with a good run, of course, beating Hawaii, yeah. coming back home, securing a win at home. But then, unfortunately, losing to Wake Forest, uh, thirty-six to twenty, this week. Kentucky had a little bit of a time with Eastern Kentucky. They did. Uh, I don't know if it's a situation to where things are just moving really slow. Another uh, point of contention or a point of argument um, that can be had for collegiate football in the fact that there is no quote-unquote preseason there are no exhibition or warm-up games in any capacity you basically go from fall camp straight into your season these first three games for every football team would look totally different oh for sure totally different and it doesn't matter what division you're in where you're at blah 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 if you had two to three warm-up games even if like tennessee's warm-up games were against like ut martin utc 
interstate yeah. stuff. Like I, it's still like that's three games that don't count against you, and you get to see where you're at. Yeah, and what you need to work on, where your improvements need to be, and it's not going to count against you. And that's the main thing is it doesn't count against what your season would be. Yeah, but you're throwing collegiate athletes yeah. who have more stuff than football on their brain at all times mm-hmm. into this and say, you know, here's like, your season. Good luck. I'm, I'm surprised that there's not as that there's not more chaos in a college football season, especially in the first month than yeah. what there already is. Yeah. Just because of these types of things. Mm-hmm. Missouri winds up taking on Middle Tennessee State. Uh, they wind up getting the win 23-19. to 19. Again, a score that should not have been as close as it was. No. We did still wind up getting the win uh, for the SEC. Your upcoming opponent this week in Florida played McNeese. Oh. At right. <laughs> Um, I don't even know. Begin to I can only imagine FCS maybe. Division Two. Yeah. Maybe I'm not sure. Uh, but they, they also won. play teams like LMU and ETSU and stuff like that. And right. It's like, I've never heard of McNeese. I was like, I don't know who that is. Getting the win, of course, forty-nine to seven, and that was a home game for Florida, uh, oh, which yeah. is what you're going to wind up having against him this week, yes. uh, traveling to the swamp. South Carolina being able to play in-state, uh, and as we mentioned last week on the episode, highly ranked FCS Furman, uh, ranked number six. They got the win, 47-21. to 21. Um, We'll get more into the game here once we get past this segment because uh, there were definitely quite a few highlights uh, from that game that were definitely memorable considering uh, QB1 Spencer Rattler, um, not due to any kind of fault, uh, but because he had a good stat line and wanted to make sure that he did not have anything happen to him for the upcoming game against Georgia, uh, got pulled after one series going into the third quarter. We had what would have been second, third, fourth, fifth, Luke Doty, Lenore Sellers, Tanner Bailey, yeah, and Colton Gauthier uh, all wound up playing in snaps. that game. Yeah, playing wow. snaps during that game. So we went through... Uh, the fifth string quarterback during that game and like I said I'll highlight some more of the stuff that happened uh, during that game and lastly of course uh, Tennessee does get the win over Austin P. and you were at that game I was let's get this straight first and foremost we didn't lose but we didn't lose the game right but to, to talk to a lot of Tennessee fans but to talk fans, to Vol fans after that game last Saturday or hear kickoff call in shows or, or post game shows uh, you'd have thought we lost right like, was it an ugly win? Yeah, it was ugly. Does everybody have ugly wins? Yeah. Like, and we did not, the one thing that I kept hearing in some post shows and, and the next the next day on social media and stuff like that, we did not let their di- defense dictate what our offense did. It was, a, it was a term that I kept hearing. It was like, we let their, de- their defense dictate our offense? I said, no. No, we, we, we were not letting their defense we had rough aspects on both sides of the ball, especially offensively. We had a a Joe Milton quarterback that we hadn't seen since probably his first game a couple years ago. He was getting worried about his accuracy. You could tell that it was wearing on him because he was throwing fastballs, short distance, that I would challenge anybody in that stadium to catch. I forget, that's the other thing that I forget, is I completely forget that 
when you go to a Tennessee football game, everyone in those stadium were D1 athletes. Oh, yeah. I completely forgot about that. I forgot that everyone in the stands were D1 athletes and Heisman winners and, and this desk ward winner and, and players. Arm, of the yeah. Armchair quarterback. Yeah, I completely forgot that they all had played the sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can tell you that in a 101, 900, whatever we're at, a very small 1% probably played the football, the game of football. Oh, for sure. And an even smaller percent probably went to college. And the only people I can tell you went pro were the people who come back like Alvin Kamara to say hi to the Vol fans. Right. He was the only pro in the audience that day. Right. The people who are like, we should have done this. Like, And, and sadly, where our season tickets are, our two seats, we have a split five. We have two in higher O, and then we have three down in like row 19. The guy that has sat behind like where my brother little brother nolan sat last week in the two seats you would have thought he was peyton freaking manning (laughs) that he like both my sister had a run in with him last year nolan finally like she last year turned around and said did you play where did you play no i didn't play oh because the way you're talking right i I would have imagined that you were like a d1 athlete of the year right like you should be down there you starting. Be down the, there starting. Then go yeah. out there and kick and throw. Go 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 ahead. Because at, at the end of the day, there's just kids. Oh yeah, these are kids that these adults and the fans who didn't play the game belittle and call stupid and all oh, the mistakes and oh you take them out they're terrible. I, I mean, unless you're a Georgia starting quarterback, you're most of the time under the age of twenty. Yeah. But like I said, we had we had a Milton whose accuracy was down, and he was playing that way. He was nervous to throw the ball because his accuracy was down. Well, I had mentioned something to you uh, earlier this week that I had read just a little snippet, the online, maybe mm-hmm. even a Ben clickbait. I don't know. Um, but the jugs machines, the the automatic throwing machines yes. that that the coaches and stuff use, or that players use to simulate the quarterback, mm-hmm. you can adjust those to yeah. to match more what the the QB's uh, their uh, speed speed yeah. and, and stuff is going to be and even Brew McCoy big Brew McCoy was talking about dude like this thing goes up to like you know we normally keep it at like 6 7 or whatever um, we've cranked it up to like 10 to simulate Milton and it's just shy of the potential of like breaking our fingers trying to catch this thing. I could only imagine if someone closed their hands too quick Ugh. in trying to catch a Milton pass, especially one of those short laser beams. The man needs just to like leave football j- and go be a MLB pitcher. Yeah, like jamming their fingers or yeah. just snapping a finger back or whatever. And and that's where I mean, and I'm sure you're going to get into this. Where some of the the offensive miscues, especially for passing in this game, came from is the fact that one, like you said, he was concerned about his accuracy yeah. and his touch, which gets in your mind. Which does, yeah, it does get yeah. in your mind. If you can't play with a confidence and a swagger, it's going to affect the rest of your game. Mm-hmm. Well, and the other thing that we need to talk about is. We can use this as a transition to another conversation that you can do a little bit more explaining before we go back to to some other things I had to say. 
FCS versus FBS. Austin P played like a D1 team. You know why? Because they're a D1 team. Yes. The, they're the, not a D2 or D3 team. Like, people kept making comments in D2, like, oh, they're a D, we're losing to a D2 team or we're not playing. And I would be like, no, they're D1. No, they're D1. Guys, they're, D, they're not a division under us. They're D1. Like, you all clearly didn't do your math or your homework. Right. Like, they're still a D1 team. These are D1 athletes out there. Correct. Knowing who they were playing. And something that I actually looked more into myself just trying to have these arguments with people, just making sure that I was correct in my information. Whenever you were talking about FBS, FCS, football, bowl, subdivision, Mm -hmm. football, championship, subdivision, that's what FBS and FCS stand for. That's the difference. Football, bowl, subdivision is a collective of schools, of universities that are pulled together that are playing for bowl spots. Yes. It is not a a championship elimination tournament mm-hmm. to be able to figure out eventually paring down until you get to what would be the quote-unquote champion that the are the that two teams that are yeah. playing together against each other for the, the championship. The way that like Little League World Series runs and the MLB World Series runs. Or That's in what this, they do. Or the FCS. FCS. Or the NFL or anything like Literally that. Literally, the winner of FCS is the best team of the year. In the FCS, yes. Yes, that's the best team. Um, I mean, you may luck out and, you know, like two powerhouses for the FCS may not have to play each other in the the yeah. the uh, playoffs or whatever. Uh, and, and that's another way of saying it is these other divisions have a playoff system that they yeah. implement. Uh, of course, now they're in FBS in the football bowl subdivision. There is a playoff, but it is down to what would be four teams. But the way that those four teams are decided, yes, they say that there is a committee and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's that same committee that would be deciding which programs are going to play against each other in a particular bowl game. And typically those decisions are made based off of where a team sits in their uh, um, respective subdivisions uh, uh, rankings. Yeah. So, like, okay, numbers one through four, basically, for the most part, random outlying mm-hmm. circumstances can dictate otherwise – but general rule of thumb, one through four is who your playoffs are going to be. Yeah. And then usually you're pitting number five versus number six, number seven versus eight, nine versus ten, so on and so forth. But, of course, you are going to have some teams that aren't ranked that are bowl eligible, mm-hmm. and typically they wind up getting pitted against other non-ranked teams that have become bowl eligible that have either similar play styles or – or had a similar record, whatever the case may be. Like, typically you're going to have, if you're getting into those teams that had multiple losses, more than two losses or whatever on the season, most of those teams are going to be playing against each other. Like, I mean, for example, last year it was 8-5 and five Notre Dame versus, or 8-4 and four Notre Dame versus 8-4 and four South Carolina. Yeah. For the Gator Bowl. Very similar. Playing styles, Shane Beamer and the Gamecocks, huge emphasis on special teams. Same was the case for Notre Dame. They had a huge emphasis on special teams. So that's 
kind of m- pretty much how that matchup got pitted against each other, or they got pitted against each other, was which one of these two teams has the better special teams? Because in FBS, it was basically them as the top two. Yeah. In special Tennessee teams. Versus South Tennessee versus Clemson. Yeah. Same, very particular offense, very similar very record. Very high-powered offense, very, similar uh, record. Uh, they're both orange. It's the Orange Bowl. It's the orangest Orange Bowl ever. Hopple's on his way up. Sweeney's on his way out. Mm-hmm. But it's not. It's it's by a committee, and it's like right. They're, you're they're not playing. Actually, you're not doesn't having affect. the the people playing are not the ones that are making this decision yeah. because of it being that that uh, playoff type system as opposed to uh, a committee of people making the selection. And even before that, it was the uh, BCS. Yeah, the BCS. Which is still bowl championship series or bowl championship subdivision, uh, and it was a computer model mm-hmm. that was determining who was going to be the best two teams to play against each other for the quote unquote national championship, and it sometimes meant number one c- team in the country was playing the number six team in the country at that point in time, and they got that ranking because of you know maybe they did stumble early but came back and proved that their quality of wins over certain teams warranted them to be placed higher up in consideration in comparison to the team that was ranked number two in the country at that point in time. So, yeah, I'm a firm believer that I think that once we move to more of a playoff-type series in FBS, you're still going to have bowl games. Those aren't going away. No. And, and in this instance, now that we are going to a 12-team playoff, it's still going to be the same thing that these different bowl games are the playoff games. It's just been titled this bowl game. Yeah. And then I think, yeah, at some point in time in the very near future, it is just going to be referred to as the college football Super Bowl. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, it, it was a travesty. That Milton had to play all 66 snaps. A travesty. Uh, yeah, you had predicted 56-3 to as the score uh, for that game. And rightfully so, considering, you know, how the team had been playing yep. for, or through the first game and mm-hmm. what should have been for this second game. Austin P played us better than Virginia did. Mm-hmm. And, you're, and that's and that comparison. Virginia's a Power 5 school. Yeah, you're talking about a Power 5 FBS. Yeah. This is ACC Virginia. And Austin Peay could have kicked Virginia's ass. Yeah. Like Any given Saturday, any man. Any given Saturday. It doesn't matter if you are listed as an FBS school or an FCS school. Yes, there is a given that most of the schools in the FBS, in the football bowl subdivision, are your blue blood schools. Those are the schools, the Alabamas, the Georgias, the yeah. Michigans, the Ohio State, yeah. Penn State, you know, uh, Texas, uh, even is going as far as like BYU, USC, Florida State. These, these names that have been college football national champions before in the past, there is a, an inherent belief that they are quote-unquote better or it is a better division than what FCS would be but that is not to say that any given day FCS competition can take an FBS competitor to the woodshed and just completely demolish them but in in that argument what you're talking about college fandom or just fans of college football 
are going to look at FCS as subpar competition. Absolutely. And that's just not the case. No, it's not. It's still Division but I football. But you cannot convince a majority of collegiate football fans that well, that is the what case. What they don't really realize, it's like it's literally like everything that goes into play is like the attendance of your school, where your school is located, the money your school has. Like that's what scholarship opportunity money the like. The number of scholarships. That's what's actually making you lucky enough. Yes. To be in a higher, the FBS. Yes, that's all that's it is. That's all it is. Yes. It has nothing to do with the color of your school, the the talent of your school, uh, the size of your stadium. has nothing to do with that stuff. None of a bit. Literally, it comes down to dollars and cents. Yes. So, some things that come out of week two that we absolutely need to remember positively is Jalen Wright is now number three in the country at yards per attempt at 9.2. Samson was nowhere to be found this game. His name we were talking about in week one. Yeah, a dude. I mean, you know? had no idea, and then breaks onto the scene. Has uh, was it close to a hundred yards, three touchdowns, r- rushing touchdowns? That didn't include receiving touchdowns. Yeah, dude was was the rushing offense for what would be week one, and now Jalen Wright in this game, thirteen attempts for one hundred eighteen yards, but unfortunately didn't score any TDs. Yeah. And the Vols defense did give up like 330 plus yards at home, so I that understand is, that it sucks. That is kind of rough. I mean, yeah, some some points were scored, some yards were given up, but they are still living in the opponent's backfield. Well, and I mean, the other thing is like one of the other things we need to to kind of realize is let's look at the the defense. We did give up that many, but mm-hmm. 12.5 tackle for losses per game. Still, That's your average, After yeah. week two. First in the FBS. Just in this game, there was 14. Yeah. 5.5 sacks per game. Tied seven for first in, this one. in the FBS. Yep, seven in this game. You know who you're tied with? North Carolina. Okay. You want to know why? Because they got nine the first week <laughs> against South Carolina. 11 total sacks, tied for first in FBS. 25 total tackle for losses, second in the FBS. Mm-hmm. Aaron Beasley, six tackles for loss, first in the FBS. So still coming out of that ugly win. We've got some killer stats still tacking up after week two. Oh, for sure. Aaron Beasley, and like I said, I've got him named specifically whenever we're talking about some of the defensive stuff here. He is definitely a force. Like anytime you're doing like a tail of the tape uh, for playing Tennessee, uh, Beasley's name has to be on there. Uh, while no one did record again uh, this week for uh, Tennessee, no one actually had double-digit yeah. tackles. He was the closest and was the team leader for this game against Austin P. with nine total tackles, eight of which were solo tackles. I mean, Beasley's the name we're going to hear all year if he stays healthy. Oh, for sure. And and like I was saying, any time that uh, you're going to be doing a tale of the tape, you know, what what matchups to look for, um, it's going to be Aaron Beasley against whoever your running back and quarterback is. Basically, might as well say your entire offensive line. Yeah. Just because he's going to get back there and he's going to be disruptive in, in any capacity that, that can be had. And, yes, like kind of like I said after week one, May's not being on the field, you can tell. Oh, your center. The O-line and the center is where we are seeing chinks. And it's because it's not our, our general. Right. You know, and we don't know if, for sure if he's playing till up until game time Saturday. Happel's still saying that's a game time decision. Oh, even for this week. And it's like, dude, 
if 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 this is a thing where it's always going to be his backup needs to be just as good as him. Right. Are we practicing maze at least? Are we, you know, like where are we has, at? Let has us he know. Done anything during Let like us the know. Because like missing that. him these last two games, even though we have done decent with our backup guy, he's he's you know, he's all right. But we couldn't go the rest of the season on just him, right? Without a lot of work. I mean, it's noticeable that he's not there. Well, you're now getting into conference play, yes. And if you don't have your main dude anchoring the center of that Absolutely. offensive line that in and of itself is a a a, a weak spot for yeah. defenses and to they attack. will milk it for all it's worth oh for sure the same way that freaking austin p milked our weak safeties Getting i mean those and i said in week one field middle i said in week one i said our biggest weakness is our, our corner and our safety if you if you put damage on that you if can control got, us a little bit. If you've got time to be able to get, yeah, let you them can run their routes and they go can right get ahead. to it. Yeah. But also the same can be said for our game this weekend because they have a true freshman in their safeties. That is so, true. So uh, it's just it's just and and Georgia is more defensive defensively minded for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's the front seven. It's not that back end. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's going to be a, a fun test, and I think it's. It's going to be one of the more fun games. I know a lot of people are talking about week three being a bunch of sleeper games just because of the the quality of competition between some of the teams. But I, mm, it might any be, given Saturday might be calling some friends or sending some messages saying, "Hey, did you I see this?" Hope you are. I hope you are. <laughs> I really hope you're. Oh, that I'm on the phone. I being hope. Like, oh my God, I are hope you seeing this? You are unbearable for Mallory next week. I will join in with you, if you, if you all pull it off. I will be, um, I'll, I'll wear if, garnet on Monday. If it is a repeat, if, of, if it is a repeat of 2019, <laughs> I I don't know what I will do. I mean, I lost my voice for a good three she days. She might call out after, Monday. That's a possibility. <laughs> uh, I don't normally text my family during games because I'm someone who. Oh, if you're going to rub it in someone's face, you're going to wind up getting it back. Yes. At some point in time. So balance. I, yeah, always balance, <laughs> man. Always balance. Always trying to balance everything. Uh, I try not to do that, but th- there might have to be, I mean, just in in the event that we take down numero uno, Ugh. the number one team, and, and completely shake up the college football world. That'd that shake would be, everything up. That would be insane. I wonder how far Tuesday would be interesting. I wonder how far South Carolina would jump in the event they beat number one Georgia. Would they let you in the top twenty-five? Surely, it, it may be number twenty-five. Yeah, but you'd have to be. Let but in. we would have to be, and that would be a fifteen-spot jump at this point. We're currently like ranked fortieth, I think. But if we beat number one. And they did not put South Carolina in the top twenty-five at that point. That hell, would there'd be, be hell to pay. That would be freaking egregious. It would be egregious. Very egregious. It absolutely. And I would love to see Matt the next week too. What he does in his TikToks and stuff. Oh, if oh, South talking Carolina about Matt Georgia, Mitchell. Yes. Oh, if, yeah. Like, that would be hilarious. The glasses are talking fixed about the swagger, and all that. Yeah. <laughs> and he just walks in Georgia Vipers sitting are there fully all fixed. Yeah. Scratches over his face. Scratches over his face. Like, what was that? Especially if there's any block kicks. Uh. Say I got cock blocked. (laughs) If you're enjoying 
the Cocky Top Podcast with Brian and Tyler, then you will also enjoy other Legend Studios productions. Check out Between Two Barrels with Brian and Opie and the 30 and Nerdy Podcast with Josh and Tyler. If you enjoy those and want to know more about Legend Studios, find us on Legend Studios in Instagram and Facebook. Enjoy the rest of the show. Speaking of the Gamecocks, folks, we are going to be moving on ahead. Uh, Tyler's over here enjoying a, a fun little cocktail that I'm going to yes. let him talk about here in a moment as yes. we get ready to preview the Tennessee-Florida game. Uh, but I am going to go ahead and kick it off since we were just talking about if South Carolina can pull the biggest upset uh, what would be so far of the college football year that is 2023 they're definitely going to have to to put in a lot of lot of hard work to be able to do that but a quick recap from week two Gamecocks did play number six ranked FCS Furman Paladins and they did secure the win 47 to 21 on the day Gamecocks for 463 passing yards 108 rushing yards a total of 77 offensive plays for 571 total yards from scrimmage, uh, almost doubling their offensive output from week one mm-hmm. against North Carolina. Uh, and that got them an average of 7.42 yards per play in the game there against Furman. Spencer Rattler himself went 25 of 27 for 345 yards for four total touchdowns, three passing and one rushing and did not get sacked once during this game. Now, of course, I mean, yeah, you can say that the Furman, with it being an FCS team versus North Carolina as the the FBS team, there might be some differences there, but we just had that long conversation. I am not going to do that, mainly because Furman was also one of the top leaders in college football for last season in creating turnovers and mm-hmm. getting those takeaways. So the fact that we... I mean, there was one. Uh, I think it was one fumble throughout the entire game that did get lost by the Gamecocks. Other than that, there was no turnovers created by the Paladins during that game. It was a clean game from that aspect throughout the entirety of it. We also saw what would be the five deep for quarterbacks in South Carolina. Luke Doty, who actually caught a pass, one of uh, Spencer Rattler's touchdown passes, during the game, lined up as a wide receiver, which he has done in both games so far this season. Early in the third quarter, went out and played a series, uh, resulted in having to punt. So then on the following Gamecocks possession, uh, third string quarterback and what is now being highly touted as the future QB for South Carolina in Lenore Sellers. Kid out there is amazing and also wearing the rec specs. He's got the the elastic strap glasses on, yeah, and and already talking about trying to secure an NIL deal uh, for Rec Specs, which will be awesome. Showing kids that you can wear glasses and still play and be cool and play and some be cool. awesome collegiate sports. But he came in, went four for four, so perfect passer rating mm-hmm. for 86 yards and threw two touchdowns. So, out of his four passes, of course, two of them went for scores. Yeah. One, actually both of them, two freshmen, in Tyshawn Russell, 
mm-hmm. uh, who's a freshman, caught the first one, and that was the 60-yard bomb mm-hmm. streaking down the right side. And then the second one was a short uh, curl route. Well, at that, you're averaging like 21 and a half yards per throw. Yeah. And this was the this was the kid in the spring game. Yeah. That the ball got snapped high. He run out of the pocket, picked up the ball on a bounce, and still made it around and was able to complete the pass and got the first down. Jeez. And this was after the ball bounced like 15, 20 yards behind the original line of scrimmage. Uh, his second touchdown pass, by the way, wound up going to uh, freshman star Nicholas Harbor. Okay. Uh, the kid who's 6'5", 240-something yeah. pounds, uh, carbon copy, basically a DK Metcalf, uh, <laughs> can run track-style speed, 200 meters in just a little over 10 seconds. But, yeah, they were definitely emptying the bench, getting several players in as early as what would be the second series there in the third quarter. So definitely got plenty of in-game experience in a loud and packed Williams-Brice Stadium for that game. So they were actually able to get so some, some practice. Yeah, it was swaying. They were playing. It was swaying. I love watching YouTuber SF Cocking, mm-hmm. um, who does the uh, ESPN or SEC Network or whatever broadcast, but then overlays the local announcers, the broadcaster booth announcers, Gameplay uh, over yeah, with the, audio. The, the audio over yeah. the other gameplay, and it's so much better it's listening cool, to yeah. the the homers announcing what the game would be as opposed to the yeah. the uh, um, personalities that like ESPN yeah. and and uh, those places hire to bring in. Jumping over to the rushing side, thirty nine attempts for a total of one hundred and eight yards, right at two point seven six yards per carry average. Still not doing all that great in the rushing attack. Hopefully that can um, improve as we move forward. Don't know how much it is going to be able to improve against this uh, stout Georgia defense. Hopefully this one might turn into a situation where the two defenses can hold each other fairly well. Um, And then it'll just be which defense, I guess, makes the mistake first sort of thing Mm -hmm. in this game. And I think that may be what it comes down to. But we'll see. Uh, as far as the individual rushers, uh, who has been listed as RB1, DK Joiner, 11 attempts for 42 yards. Definitely not a great average, uh, but still wound up scoring a touchdown. However, Mario Anderson, transfer from an FCS school, mm-hmm. uh, wound up coming in in that second half and was having a lot better luck. Um, at least it looked that way. He wound up going 6 for 32. So he was averaging right around what would be that five yards a carry uh, as opposed to the uh, just a couple of yards for what would have been DK Joyner. Uh, receiving, on the other hand, with uh, wide receiver uh, one, Juice Wells, Antoine Juice Wells, still being uh, somewhat recovering from an uh, offseason injury. Uh, Xavier Leggett has definitely stepped up in a big way same amount of catches, uh, just a little bit fewer yards this week. Six for 118 and a touchdown. Definitely a solid, solid wide receiver two option. Or we may even have, as Tennessee found themselves with at times last year, two definitive wide receiver one options on the outside on both sides in those two. 
a Marion Brown. A little bit smaller receiver, but definitely got some speed to him. Went six, uh, six receptions for 89 yards. And then, of course, like I mentioned earlier, Luke Doty, who is the uh, backup quarterback, had one catch for 36 yards and a touchdown. Other than that, was not the best day for special teams for South Carolina. And I say that there was only one missed field goal attempt. But whenever you have one of the best, if not the best, special teams units in the country, mm-hmm. anytime anything does not go well, you can basically chalk that up as a miss for them, so to speak. In terms of defense, no double-digit tacklers this week, uh, which means everybody is putting in a lot more individual effort uh, as opposed to it being just a single person that is recording a majority of the tackles. Um but freshman Jalen Kilgore was the top tackler with six total tackles, five of which were solo. And the Gamecocks did manage to record three sacks in this game, four tackles for loss, and five broken up passes. So while the defense definitely did step up in this one, the yeah. uh, offensive line did step up, um, it was definitely against a nationally perceived lesser competition. But like you... And people who actually pay attention to ball in and of itself uh, is definitely a situation to where the level of competition was not as stepped down for neither Tennessee nor South Carolina for what week two would have been. Jumping on over to uh, Tennessee against uh, Austin P. Like I said, of course, they did win 30-13. to But if you want to run down the individual stats... Volunteers had 228 passing yards and 228 rushing yards. 65 offensive plays for 456 total yards. That is 7.2 yards per play. Joe Milton, 21 for 33, not his best outing. Uh, 228 yards, two touchdowns, sacked only one time. Three more attempts with the same amount of completions. Like I said, not our best. However, Jalen Wright rushed 13 times for 118 yards. We had Jabari Small rush 13 times for 95 yards. And Dylan Sampson, who was week one's MVP, uh, now down to three rushes for only eight yards. Did not see the field the way he he did in week one. He virtually disappeared this week for whatever reason. Ramel Keaton, five catches for only 52 yards, one touchdown, one fumble lost however i will say that one that hit a keaton's hand it's it it's it like bro you're not throwing that far feet. away from me you can't. yeah um, i mean you're looking at i mean five catches for 52 yards you're looking at what would be the average of 10 yards yeah so i mean if i'm 10 yards 30 feet away you're from throwing you, 90 and miles you're an hour <laughs> that hard that hurts Bro, come on. Yeah. Calm it down a little bit. That is le- that is less than a baseball pitcher to a batter. Yeah. And you're throwing 90-something yards like, you're going to break my hands, yeah. man. Brew McCoy, 5 for 51. Uh, however, McCollin Castles, baby. Yes. Showed up, got his first TD, tied in a forty-three-yard catch, yeah. Got that caught 43 yards for a big tied in. A brick house of a tight end. I think we're going to be hearing McCollin Castle's name a lot the rest of the year. Moving I think he, he proved that he can be a t- just as much as a deadly target as the other wide receivers. Squirrel White, four for 30 yards. Uh, not Squirrel's best outing. It's just weird. It's like I said, man, uh, they they played us the way they knew they needed to play us. 
they shut down a lot of our offense and you know he stopped throwing you know he'd throw these outs just like get the ball turn to the left throw get the ball turn to the right throw these Which little is like what was happening a lot last year yeah but Hyatt and Tillman Cedric Tillman those were your two main yeah. forces in those and your fast. other receivers were getting those blocks on the outside to set up for those receivers, receivers to be able not to get blocking. out there. They were not blocking. And that's the thing is people aren't getting their blocks like nope. they should be for Tennessee this year, and that's not allowing for that type of offensive play that they had for last year. So, I mean, a- as a non- non-volunteer, and whenever we play, I hope that that you know, remains to be the case. <laughs> yeah. However. you got you got to lay the block. However, yeah, for everybody else, I mean, you – you're going to start putting don't, tight ends in that position don't, if don't the receivers be, aren't yeah, going to block. Don't be greedy because, I mean, it's for the betterment of the team all the way around. So don't think you're too good to, well, to get dirty like, and get in and throw a block the on, way a, we look, on a defensive back. There's plenty of, of catches to go around with the way our, our, our offense is. So you can't be greedy and selfish. Like, if you have to lay the block instead of get the touchdown, lay the block, dadgummit. Let's talk a little special teams. D. Williams did have a kick return, two up for 41 yards total, 20.5 yard average. His longest was 33. A punt return, two for 18 yards. You know, the longest return we had on a punt was 13 yards. Um, did not have the great punt return game that we did in the first game or the end of last year. Williams does have the capacity for yes, being does. able to if he if it gets set up just right if he catches it just right in terms of the the scheme the the yeah. blocking and everything else there's the capacity there for him to be able to break off and take one to the house absolutely absolutely he has as all he, that potential as he showed during the the uh, couple of returns there against Virginia yeah uh, so on the other end of the ball the team leader was obviously as we said earlier Aaron. Beasley, nine total, eight solo tackles. Team total was 72 tackles, 14 tackles for loss, seven sacks, and six pass breakups. So that's that's great defensive numbers for one game. Especially considering defense was one of their weak points last mm-hmm. year. We have a defense this year that comprehends the game oh, and sure. their job. Last year we had the offense that comprehends. We just got to... They got to get on the same page. They got to get together, and we got to get that meet in the middle. Definitely a better game on the defensive side than it was the offensive side. But again, as I say to you, Vol fans, we did still win the game, thirty to thirteen. Regardless, it was a dub. It was still a win. We're still two and zero going into Florida. And I've got my drink here. It's called the Gator Hater. It is Tennessee Legend Distillery products. We have got our fiery mango margarita moonshine, a dash of it. A dash of our orange creamsicle moonshine, a shot, a little a little spritz of lime juice, and you rim it with tahini. Ah, uh, using some tahini spice as a uh, uh, rim glass rimming, uh, yes. salt or seasoning. So in it sounds tasty. In that spirit, now this is our 53rd meeting. Began in 1916. Of the 53 meetings head-to-head as of this season, the Gators lead the all-time series 31-21. Two teams last met in Knoxville on September 24th. I was there, president of the company for, in 2022 for an electric game in which the Vols took a victory for them 38-33. Now, 
I will have to say that I have noticed. Correct me if you if if you think or if you disagree with this, but for some reason there is an ongoing theme already this season where there are thoughts of who are you to every SEC team. Oh yeah, Georgia. Can you do it for the first time? Can you be the first to go three? Who are you? Right. Bama. Are you still Bama? Tennessee, South Carolina. Are you really serious? Are who are you? Florida, LSU, Kentucky, are you showing cracks in the almighty SEC? Who are you? Everyone is asking SEC teams in interviews when they talk about them. It's basically this grand all theme of who are you as a team. Not that Bengals who day, who are you? And, and that's what I've been noticing a lot is a lot of like, for the first time in a long time, a lot of outside noise second-guessing the SEC. And it's just because the – the middle and bottom of the the barrel, as it were, to continue with distillery and alcohol talk. Mm-hmm. Since, you know, of course, our wonderful sponsors being Tennessee Legend Distillery. I think it's just that the other divisions have now... That there are a few teams in the other divisions that have reached a level of what... A level of competition of what the SEC has been for multiple decades at this point. Yes. Almost 30 years. I mean, because if you want to go back and look at it, a majority of the relevance of teams outside the SEC happened in the 90s. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's what it is. You've got whole, like almost an entire generation of people who only know SEC supremacy. Yes. So whenever they aren't, whenever they aren't the cream of the crop, the cream tip of the top, people are questioning it. It's their people cup are asking, of who, the big time. "Who are you?" Yeah. I mean, and and that's a, a really great question. I mean, especially for, like you said, Georgia, are you going to be the first team that can go three? Do you have all of this this weight, this massive target? All these teams, Florida, not only are they going to give you... Can, you, you, yeah. can you hold Tennessee in the swamp? Or are they going to beat you for the first time since 2003? Yeah. Can you do it? Can you hold them to that 20-year streak? And not only, and, and as an argument for the SEC, not only is it a situation now to where we're having to try to figure out who we are mm. and face our, quote-unquote, personal demons, but we also have our personal perennial opponents in the rest of what the SEC conference would be but now we've got South Carolina having to take on North Carolina for game one. North Carolina being ranked coming into the season, preseason rankings at 21 or whatever uh, or 24, whatever it is that they were at at that point in time that the game took place Um, Texas coming in and taking out Alabama FSU going out and taking out LSU you know, you've got these other teams, and I know I just basically stuck in the ACC with the exception of uh, Texas there, and and I guess rightfully so because the, the joke has been for quite some time, ACC, like I said in the first couple episodes, being referred to as the all-cupcake conference, what ACC stands for. Mm-hmm. They've taken it personally, and because of the transfer portal and things of the like, that, that they have been able to to get the talent that did not want to wait on those SEC squads and are now 
because it was the SEC that was winning all these things, mm-hmm. so kids wanted to go to these SEC schools, the the LSU, the Alabama, the Georgia, on that higher tier echelon, before it was about money. Yes. And then, of course, whenever money became a factor, you had the oil tycoons throwing money left and right at Texas players, Texas Oklahoma. A&M players, Oklahoma now, and stuff like that. Nebraska. Yeah, so now you're getting there's not as much gap anymore. The gap has definitely closed between the SEC and the rest of the conferences from that 30, almost 30 year separation that for the most part has been with a couple of little sprinklings of other conferences apart from the SEC for that time. So, so yeah, I mean, just like with, with anybody who has sat at the top for a considerable amount of time, it does beg to ask the question whenever these types of things happen is a point for self-reflection yeah absolutely um and then to to expound i mean like you were saying with tennessee tennessee in and of themselves for the last 20 years has been on a a serious roller coaster a couple of good wins here and there south carolina is now approaching that multiple decade point to where they had the few good seasons sprinkled in there with spurrier but for the most part, and even before Spurrier, have been a middle-of-the-road team. One thing that Tennessee fans have to, to be able to lean back on is the fact that they have had multiple championships, and some as recently as the 90s. Mm-hmm. Whereas Carolina and the Gamecocks, I mean, we don't really have any worth mentioning other than 1969, 1970 for the ACC championship, and then if you go all the way back to the SoCon years, there was... Yeah a few there but no one wants to talk about anything no one considers that continuity honestly no one even wants to right now talk about 20 years ago unless they're trying to prove a negative point because whenever you get into a lot of these uh chats and discussions through like x or twitter uh, i still go back and refer to it as twitter uh facebook any of these chat groups and stuff like that yes you've got a, a lot of people who who are like it's basically my team's the best. Your team sucks. I don't want to hear anything else you have to say. Yes. They won't listen to any kind of actual fact or reasoning or stats or anything like that to back anything up. You can't even tell them. Like, I tried to have the conversation of giving someone the definition between the FBS and FCS mm-hmm. to prove my point that there isn't that much parity, loss of power and talent between the two at a certain level. Like, I mean, you can't tell me that the bottom of the barrel, what would be FBS, is that much better than the top tier of what FCS would be. No, Austin P would have beaten bottom of the barrel SEC teams. Yeah. Easy. Like, beat, I, I, beat I would have said Austin P could have gone and played Vandy. Kentucky. Kentucky. Arkansas, well, I can't, probably. I can't say Kentucky anymore, or even Arkansas. Uh, we've lost... Uh, lost to Kentucky for quite a few years as of late. Uh, yeah. Arkansas Arkansas used to be our cross-division rival before mm-hmm. um, A&M and um, Mizzou joined. Well, the stories of this game are basically Joe Milton versus the Florida defense because kind of like Tennessee this year, Florida has a comprehensive defense. They're like, yes, we're a defense. Yes. This is what you're supposed to do on defense. It'll be Joe Milton versus them. Florida's ranked eighth against the pass 
Is our defense going to stack the box because Florida's a run-happy offense? Probably. I would imagine we and stack the box. And if that's the case, then that's going to mean that Graham Mertz, Florida QB, is going to have to try to – Force him to throw. Try to try to make some throws, but then – But he's not very a throw-heavy quarterback. He really isn't. And then is Tennessee's secondary going to be able to stand up to – Mertz, I think this is going to be a defensive battle. This may yes. actually turn into a – I'm not going to say it's going to be an Auburn-Mississippi State 3-2 to two score at the end of the game. I, I venture to say that this one's probably going to be under 40, 42, 45 points. But I would also say that if Tennessee uh, – we are a 7.5-point favor right now. That's actually what I was just getting ready yeah, to look up. We're and a seven and a half point were. favor. It's like we have like a fifty six percent chance. Yeah, I saw to that. Win. I'm like ESPN's Ugh. FBI has yeah. Tennessee at a fifty six. But versus at the, the same 43. time, that was Tennessee Florida football in the nineties and early two thousands. That's what a rivalry is. It is. It I very love much is. when those are the numbers. I don't want any side to really dominate all the time. I love a good football game. Now, I know most fan base would be like, you you want us to lose? Like, I don't want us to lose, but like, Logan Roach, my best friend in the world, Alabama Crimson Tide fan, he says it's boring. It's the, been, the game it's been is boring. boring anymore? It's been boring being a Bama fan because they're always winning. Like, it's just, there's not a good football game anymore. It's not. It, and he's like, when you're at the top for that long, like, I don't. I think if a fan says, like, no, nah, I could stay at the top for 30, 40 years, I think that's crazy. He's like, I, I think that's They haven't been insane. a fan that long. They haven't been a fan that long. Yeah. He's like, they didn't go through when Tennessee was guaranteed to whip our butt every game. He's like, they didn't see that. Well, These are bandwagon fans who are like, well, Bama's not. They're kind of like modern-day Patriot fans. What, what all just got said, apart from honoring family – my grandfather and stuff like that is one of the main reasons that I am a Gamecock fan mm-hmm. is because whenever we do get those types of wins because, I mean, I'm I'm not going to beat around the bush. The South Carolina is a just over 500 yearly program. Six to eight wins, maybe hitting a ninth win routinely is normal mm-hmm. or would be the the... the Best end expectation, the ceiling for the Gamecocks for the most part. So whenever we do hit anything past eight wins, it's it's awesome for us just because of what we are used to. Mm-hmm. So so to be a, a fan of a team that that is is usually getting ten plus wins in a season and constantly going to the same thing, you you look at certain opponents and you're like. I don't even want to watch this game. Like, I don't even want to be here. This is something that, oh, if I wanted to watch Alabama practice, I'd go, you know, talk to the coaching staff to see if I could go to a practice. But looking at, you know, I said that I think, in my opinion, that this is going to be a an under uh, yeah. 40-something points. Right now, the over-under is setting at 56.5 for the Tennessee-Florida game. You're going to have to explain that. Okay, so in in betting terms between the two teams, uh, you can choose to say if the total score between the the two teams is going to be over 56.5 or under 56.5. Oh. So, yeah, right now, Vegas, MGM, 
thinks that between Tennessee and Florida that there's going to be 56 and a half points scored. I don't see either offense being capable right now of hitting that. With the way they've played through the first two games, I don't see that as being feasible. I could be wrong. And and for your sake and for all volunteers across the country's yeah. sake, I, I hope, hope that I am wrong in that case because I, too, am a, a Gator hater. Well, here's the thing is I think that these are the, the – like with us, especially with, with the Gamecocks and the Vols, like this is, this is the week that I think a lot of SEC will be judged. But this is the week you should really ourselves. start. Yes. Yes. This is the the week that SEC will be judged. No matter who wins or loses, is it a game to where people outside the SEC can be like, we couldn't beat them? Right. Or are they going to be like, you know what? I think we could beat both those teams. Then the trash talk will, will continue. More of that, who are you? Yeah. Here's the thing that I have noticed in my years of being a Gator hater. Florida is not a team that comes from behind well. Never have been. They have to be on top. They have to open up. It's They do not come from – their statistics of winning from behind are low. There are very few teams that play well from a, a, a point of Climbing. discrepancy. Yeah. yeah. So if we open up in the first quarter, we outscore them 3-1 to one in the first quarter, 3-1 to one in the second quarter. Oh, at that point, I at mean, that you might point, as well go ahead and just say it's wrapped. Because Florida, especially with the type of offense they are, it's a runner's clock. Right. They're playing against the clock at that point. If and you get up on them three possessions in the first quarter, or by the end of the second quarter, if we're up three possessions, then we just have to maintain. Right. Because they're on a runner's clock. Yeah. Have you noticed the um, the speed of the games now? Yes. Yeah. It's yes. definitely going by quite a bit faster. Yes, it absolutely is. Uh, the actual spread for that game, I think you said, what, seven and a half? Seven and a half points. Um, looking through MGM, right now they've got it at six. Okay. Uh, right now Tennessee is a six-point favorite over Florida. Uh, and like I said, with the over-under on the score of the game being at 56 and a half. So kind of what they're saying right now is they're expecting Tennessee to hang at least a 50-burger well, we're, we on are, Florida. Uh, we only beat them by five last year. So yeah, was it <laughs> six would be great. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, the faster and harder we hit them and score, the more likely they are to be left spinning and unable to catch up. Plus, they have, like I mentioned earlier, the freshman, a true freshman at safety positions, and a very youthful corner, a sophomore. If we can do to them what Austin P did to us and expose that, pick on them, outrun their safeties and corners yeah the way that austin p's wide receiver outran ours i absolutely would say that we could hang 50 on florida right however we are in the swamp and that's the thing it it doesn't matter even if florida is down we're in the swamp it's in the swamp there and it's physically like it's just different down there like i've never been to a game in florida but being in gainesville as much as i have lately like travels to to Disney and and with Fanboy and all that, like stopping off in Gainesville for gas or stuff like that, like it's just different down there. There's a there's a an ugly mugginess. There's, oh yeah. There's you know it's, it's just it's, it's weird. It's August year round. Yes, it's literally August year round in Florida, and it's it's the third weekend of September, 
We're in Gainesville. Yeah, you're looking at 90-something degree temperatures. Yeah. The fact that it actually is basically in a swamp. Basically is, yeah. Yeah. Which is why, I mean... Why it's referred it's to... Difficult. It, I mean, yeah, they're the gators, and gators live in swamps. But, yeah, that whole area... Yeah, it's that, like, imagine trying be, to... would be a swamp. Trying to run with a thin blanket wrapped around you all the time. Like, if you ran in 90 degree weather a with a, a, a thin, wet blanket wrapped around you, you'd be miserable. You'd get yeah. tired quicker. It'd feel uncomfortable. Like, in Florida, you are damp year-round. Yeah, just like because your skin of the humidity is and everything damp, else. And it's just ugly. However, if we can hurt them in the places that Austin P hurt us... Early. I, like, yeah. I'm not saying we it's, need to rally in the third quarter... Yeah, it's come out swinging. Early. It's come out and blacken their eyes. Yeah. I can guarantee you we will beat them bad because statistically Florida is not good at coming back. Yeah, they, they, they can't mount the comeback on yeah. that. Uh, my prediction, I, I actually do not think we're putting 50 on them. I have Tennessee wins 35-31. So you want to go even one point less one than point what less. the – Unless we open up against them the way we did LSU last year. Okay. But I say Vogel's off knowing it's the, our third game in the swamp. It's Tennessee, Florida. It's a much closer game. And I think that 38 or that 35-31, I think we hold 35 for a quarter. Like we might score it in the fourth quarter, but we then we're at like Oh, you're looking holding. at it being – a, a tight game, yeah. and then this being like a almost who has the ball last yes. sort of thing. Okay. But I think that our defense stops their their run game a little better than they stop our throwing game. Because they do run a runner's clock, and if we can get them to play against the clock and us, we have a much better chance. I feel that. And, and this is also, I, I would say, not technically the first road test. Yeah. But – Technically, the Technically first road it test. Is. It is. Um, while the game one against Virginia was a neutral site, it wasn't. It in wasn't Virginia's a far travel. Stadium. Yeah, uh, just like it wasn't far travel for South Carolina to yeah. play North Carolina, and that was at Bank of America. Yeah. Oddly enough, it was actually closer for South Carolina than it was for North Carolina. Columbia is closer yeah, to <laughs> Columbia was closer to Bank of America there in Charlotte than uh, yeah, Chapel Hill was by like half an hour. It's like a half an hour difference for them to be able to get there. Speaking of those Gamecocks, like we were mentioning just a moment ago, I think it is going to be a situation like uh, we had talked about with Tennessee. They're just going to have to come out swinging. Yeah. Um, I think Rattler and company are going to have to try to take some shots early to throw Georgia off. Um, But the defense is going to have to play soundly as well. Uh, Main question, of course, being the offensive line, are they going to give Rattler enough time? To be able to to make those decisions, make his progressions, go through his reads, to be able to get some of those balls out, or is it going to be a situation where we're going to have to float somebody out of the backfield, allow some pressure to come in after a, a, a running back has you know picked up the rush, but then released him, and then after he releases him, then gets a, a little quick open, everything else is away from the play, and the quarterback gets the quick screen, the tunnel screen, or something like that, out to the running back who then turns it into definitely something more. 
because I don't think that we're going to be able to run anything against the Georgia front. I think the Georgia defensive front is definitely still a strong enough point of contention. Just trying to play that smash mouth, that ground and pound, mm-hmm. is not going to work for South Carolina against this Georgia front seven. It's definitely going to be a situation where they're going to have to attack the secondary for sure, uh, those safeties and DBs. Uh, Spencer Rattler's been on it so far this season. Um, one of the best completion percentages out of the entire country. He's 55 of 66 right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, close to 600 yards, no interceptions at this point. Um, hoping he can maintain that type of average of uh, very few drops or very few missed passes as well as keeping that above 300 average on the day. Um, if they can keep him clean and and kind of a similar uh, uh format I guess for what North Carolina would have been uh, hopefully there's enough continuity that's that's gotten there and enough gelling along that offensive front to where we can keep them at least clean enough and maybe shifting the pocket I don't know uh, just to be able to get some stuff into that second level mm-hmm. and and force the the Georgia backfield or defensive backfield to to try to step up and make plays which if we're looking at straight quarterback talent, South Carolina's got it locked down uh, between these two teams. Yeah. As far as, as you do, uh, um, that being uh, Spencer Rattler versus Carson Beck. While Carson Beck, of course, is playing for the two-time back-to-back national championship Georgia Bulldogs, it does he not, not absolve him as yeah, of his of weaknesses. Being, yeah, uh, uh, a subpar potentially, yeah. potentially subpar quarterback already thrown. Uh, uh, at least one pick against yeah. Ball State that we know of, or that I've seen so far. I have didn't go back and look at uh, UT Martin as far as that game, but they are having a lot of trouble in the first quarter getting started, especially yeah. offensively. Um, and 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 that goes to him, I think. I think a lot of that is because of Beck. Yeah, like he's not being able to get everything underfoot, and that game. I don't. While I know it would not have gotten out of hand at any point in time against Ball State, and they came back and it was a blowout win. I mean, it wound up being a blowout by the end of the first half, but it didn't come until late in the second quarter, and it took a defensive touchdown to get things started. Yeah. But you're looking at Georgia's defense against Ball State. While, yes, they are FCS, they are lower-tier FCS as far as competition is concerned. So how how much or how indicative of his woes is that? And then also, if it took Georgia's defense into the second quarter to be able to make something happen to get everything jump started for then the offense to be able to get going what does that say for Georgia's team this year with facing their first true test in South Carolina even though a majority of the country is going to say South Carolina is not a test for Georgia just because of what Georgia has done the last two years but I would still go as far as to say that people can say that, and sure, like in, in one vein they'd be right, but still South Carolina's an SEC team. Which when, is true. And, and When SEC plays SEC, it's truly anything can happen. 
and and I mean the the little bit of the high that I'm still somewhat riding right now, even though the loss against what would have been Notre Dame to finish the season in the bowl game, and then the loss to North Carolina to kick things off, is that the tail end of the year last year, South Carolina was the giant slayer. Absolutely. Of course, taking down as you know Tennessee, and then turning and around and, and taking down Clemson, uh, which then turned into the. Uh, among message boards and and memers and stuff like that is the I just lost to South Carolina Bowl <laughs> instead of the Orange Bowl, uh, and and it did kind of suck because there was a Tennessee fan who decided that they were going to spend uh, several hundred of their hard-earned dollars to have a uh, plane fly over the stadium for the. Tennessee Clemson game that yeah good luck on your I just lost to South Carolina Bowl banner wow even after of course South Carolina indeed lost to Notre Dame uh, in the Gator Bowl but that was actually a really good game I don't know if you watched it or not it was back and forth they were trading blows um, it oh, no, came we down watched it. huh I watched it oh okay uh, especially that O'Donnell Fortune hundred yard interception return for a touchdown literally went from end zone to end zone that was one of my favorite plays of the entire year last year apart from uh xavier leggett with that 100 yard um kickoff return to start off the texas a&m game last year yeah uh looking at a couple other things um of course south carolina like i said is facing number one georgia in georgia in athens between the hedges at sanford stadium um, of course, the last time they went down there would have been 2021. Um, was a loss for South Carolina, a rather handy loss for South Carolina. Uh, but the time before that would have been 2019. And I'm actually kind of curious as to how the hedges look down there now. Uh, because in 2019, whenever South Carolina did beat Georgia for that game, there was a lot of the hedges especially in a, a certain area around the student section uh, that were removed. Um, there are a couple of South Carolina players that had posted pictures of them with pieces of the hedges sticking in their mouth like they had bitten and, <laughs> and, and torn off the, the hedges down there. A few people have, like uh, I think, tried to propagate their pieces of the hedges to get them to grow. Uh, I've heard all kinds of different things and seen all kinds of photos about that. Of course, in 2021, uh, the last visit, there was a lot of people saying, oh, this is this feels rather reminiscent. This seems like this is going to happen. This, this could be a thing. Um, of course, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't a repeat. However, I will say this year, much like in 2019, we did start off the year with a loss to North Carolina, but then wound up beating, at that time, what would have been number three, ranked in the country georgia Mm -hmm. and we do like i said have a tendency of uh being a giant slaying giants uh going all the way back to 2010 whenever south carolina took down at that time number one alabama uh but usually how that happens whenever south carolina does do something like that the very following week they wind up crapping the bed yeah this week or if that were to happen this year, if we did get the huge upset over Georgia, that would be fantastic. But then that means we would probably turn around and lose to Mississippi State. 
that would be a home game so and that would kind of fall right into it we can go into someone else's house and take them out but we come back home Can't and defend it's our like, own. <laughs> but then of course after that we make the trip here to knoxville mm-hmm. um for a, a, a what will probably turn into an afternoon matchup i don't know i doubt it'll Let's be an evening it, it matchup. it really all depends on if we beat florida and you beat georgia then it'll be set up as a night game more it'll than likely. It'll be game. the primetime game. Yeah. And you'll also probably see game day over here and everything else for that one like we did last year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I don't know if you guys want game day to to make a, a repeat appearance, especially what happened last year. I don't know. Um, I mean, we won all our game day games at home. At right. <laughs> at home. <laughs> uh, and, of course, whatever you do, don't wear the orange helmets again. Ugh. Because I know that the the superstitious lot we is going to say that you're a very superstitious lot. It's like me. I don't like the the old throwback block C yeah. helmets, the ones that got worn during the North Carolina game. Yeah, and I do not like the Carolina script helmets. Okay, there's one where Carolina is written out on the side lost. in that script, and it is usually because yeah. we lose whenever those helmets get worn. Yeah. Um, definitely a fan of the matte black. Mm-hmm. Traditional block C with the gamecock in the middle of it. Well, I'd um, say our game, our, we'll be facing you in dark mode. More than likely, because it's close to Halloween. Maybe another uh, uh, artful Dodger gray. Uh, gray game. I didn't love him. Love, love the artful Dodger, the legacy that he has at UT and all that. But I didn't, I didn't feel like they. I thought it was interesting that we used those and called them the artful Dodger gray. But I didn't. But aside from like bringing him out and letting him see the audience, you know, and, and wave and doing the the video package with him and Joe together, which was really cool. I didn't see. I was like, I don't see a lot of like what he wore, right, in the design. In this design, like you should have made it look like what Holloway wore at right. the time, like what his outfit looked like would have been smarter. I know we haven't discussed this on the podcast, but I think you and I have had this conversation just remotely before. There's nothing that says that an away uniform has to be white. No. It just cannot be the primary color unless it's at a neutral site game, and then you can opt to have what would be your primary color unless it's not combating. Mm -hmm. Like... Uh, even though it's two different shades, if we were to play Alabama at a neutral site game, we both couldn't have red tops. Yeah. Um, but South Carolina's predominant color scheme, garnet and black. Yeah. I want to make away game jerseys black. Yeah. I mean, just because be cool. most of the time the white, I mean, if you're going back time-wise and and the symbolization of white in in that aspect is waving the surrender flag Mm -hmm. go in like a pirate you You know what i mean god bless mike leach you know missing the pirate himself going into this season um but his post-game interviews were the best man they were, um, but but beyond that, yeah, like go into a, an opposing stadium's house mm-hmm. 
and and like you're you're raising the the Jolly Roger, the Skull and Crossbones, the Gamecocks going in into a stadium and wearing black jerseys. I mean, yeah, still have your white pants or whatever. You don't have to put on like the whatever, but it's like, yeah, I may be the visitor, but I'm coming in with a purpose, and I'm coming in with the purpose, the the mentality from what I'm experiencing in my brain to what you see on my body is all about taking it to you. And I would love to see, you know, if we are going to get into the tangent of uniforms to see uh, an opposing team, and especially, like I said, my team, yeah. uh, go into go into an opponent's house and be like, nah, I'm not wearing the away white. The away. Screw that. I'm going to... We have our own away colors. Yeah, this is our away color. I, our away color is is black. And when you do it, I would I would bring out a big flag and try to make the gamecock look like a white gamecock, like the crossbones. Oh, that would be cool. If you had like a like a a dead gamecock, like a, a skeleton. Oh, that would be really and neat. And like the crossbones across it. Oh, you've given me a really good idea. Intimidation. You've given me a really really yeah. good idea. Um, before I get into my predictions and stuff like that, just a quick, another quick recap as far as the um, what would have been the Furman game. Uh, Cocky's new entrance. I didn't really touch on this, and I know that oh, we had yeah. talked yeah, about yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. possibility of it. So, as tradition, uh, I described Cocky's entrance yeah. in that episode how it normally would be. Well, turns out that they've somewhat kept the same entrance in a sense they've just made it a bit more magical okay. and also incorporated another mainstay around williams bryce stadium as well as some some terminology that has been used surrounding shane beamer mm-hmm. uh to amp up what the new entrance would be so as far as shane Beamer's concerned uh everybody and i know you're gonna probably take i don't want to say offense but you're gonna definitely have an eye roll to this one um, I know at one point in time it was uh, all aboard the lane train for Lane Kiffin. There's the eye roll. <laughs> I knew it was going to come up. Uh, but, of course, a lot of people in the South Carolina fandom are talking about jumping on the Shane train. Yeah. Uh, Beamer's rolling through everybody on board the Shane train. Yeah. Shane train's gaining steam. <laughs> He's an awesome recruiter. <laughs> We're going to get this thing right. Everybody jump on the Shane train. So... Uh, not only that, but of course, if you get the opportunity to go to Williams Bryce Stadium, we have the cockabooses, which are train cars, mostly cabooses, that have been turned into basically uh, uh, box seats. Oh wow! For the the uh, like what you would be in the box seats in the stadium. They have the big screen TVs and everything else set up in these train cars, but you also have, uh, um, well, they'll cook food and everything else, and you've got these tables and bars and everything else inside the cockabooses. And that's something that you can actually purchase as part of like a season holder ticket or a, a special VIP entry ticket, whatever the case may be. You can get your ticket to the game, but also have access to go into the cockabooses. So, those two things combined, along with the previous way Cocky had made his entrance as part of 2001, which thankfully they did not get rid of, 
um, they start showing on the screen uh, 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 kind of like an all aboard. Oh, and, yeah, then, like and then you. you hear the And then uh, on the screen, on the Jumbotron or whatever, you're seeing like the smoke that would be as, or the steam as part of the, the, the train getting going. And then next thing you know, out of the, the opposing end zone comes this, uh, um, you remember at the theater, we had the, the little toy train thing that yeah. drove around. Well, they have a Garnet train engine. With a cockaboose <laughs> following it, and cocky as well as like uh, a couple of the cheerleaders, a male and female cheerleader, drives the train with the cockaboose attached to it out onto the middle of the field. They make a thing go in over toward the students, or come from the student section in, go toward the tunnel in where the the team would enter in from, and kind of loop back. Uh, going back toward that way they can drive it back off the field after the the stuff is done with yeah well cocky jumps out of the 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 engine and takes off and runs through the the tunnel that is formed like you guys do with the power t yeah uh that is formed by the band for the players to run out of well he runs through that and runs back into what would be like the the locker room area for the Gamecocks and then the train stays out there with the people in it and stuff like that well then uh, 2001 hits and they've got a new entrance have you ever seen Iowa's entrance? No. The Hawkeyes entrance? I'll have to show it to you that way you can get the visual representation of it but just uh, uh, for description um, imagine you're walking down a hallway uh, 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 think of it like the uh wrestlers entrances you wind yeah. up seeing the video footage of them walking down the hallway from out of the dressing room from the to back get to gorilla to yeah. get to the, the yeah. point where they actually go out into what the arena would be they've started doing something very similar in that aspect and iowa does something very similar like you see players walking out of what would be the the locker room and start walking down the hallway and then they get out to that point well, the way that they've got it timed out is that first note of 2001 hits that bah, bah, bah. so on that first bah, you see Shane Beamer and some of the players start walking out of the locker room and they're walking down this tunnel but instead of the entire tunnel being lit it's doing like a, a wave of lights like this light goes on and starts to go off then this light comes on and, and just in sequential like it's a, a flash a row of lights or whatever with Gamecocks on the side wall and big block letters and everything else lighting up as they're going along there's garnet lights that are going through there and all this other stuff and then while this is going on and you have this video playing up on the screen and they're walking out to their point to be able to uh, uh, run through the tunnel of, of uh, the band tunnel that has been created. Cocky is coming up out of the cockaboose that's been there the whole time as part of what the regular entrance would be, but he's being raised up, not quick up like Rey Mysterio doing the 
yeah. jump up out of the stage, but still, like, uh, from the depths of the stage, from the depths of the cockaboose, cocky is being lifted up through the, all the pyrotechnics and the smoke and everything else to, to wind up doing the, the, the normal entrance. And then once, of course, it hits the crescendo, the team runs out uh, at that time and everything else. But something I forgot to mention that adds more to the allure to it is whoever the uh, guest uh, celebrity Gamecock chant mm-hmm. uh, gets started or whatever, then... Uh, they come out of the cockaboose as well. Like, there's a door on the back of it. They walk out of the door, and you kind of, like, see in there, but you don't see that there's cocky in there. Mm-hmm. So adding more to that illusion to the, the fact that it's more of that magic trick, that, that quote-unquote black magic that used to be the or the one season yeah. or the Gamecocks or whatever, playing more into that. So yeah, it definitely it was it was a really cool, cool. change uh, set up for the, the the new entrance and stuff. So, um, but getting back to it right now, um, right now the Gamecocks uh, talking about that chance of victory. In comparison, we only have an eight point two percent compared to what your what was it fifty three point eight? Yeah, yeah. Gamecocks are showing right now is having an eight point two percent chance according to ESPN FPI index of being able to win so a a 92.8 or 91.8 percent chance for georgia to win and 8.2 percent chance for the gamecocks um garnet glasses removed um and it is a 27 and a half point underdog as south carolina uh very very close to what the um difference was in the tennessee game and then even going into the Clemson game after the Tennessee game last year, and we know how those turned out. Um, removing the Garnet glasses, I still say Georgia gets the win, uh, and I think it's going to be um, uh, a situation to where Georgia is going to still get the victory, but I think it's going to be a situation to where they are going to be very, very close with it. So I think Georgia is going to get the victory, but it is going to be, um, I'm going to say 35-21. I think it's only going to be a 14-point difference. Okay. Uh, Gamecocks are definitely going to cover what the spread is, but I still think it's going to be a loss for the Gamecocks in this one. I mean, I, I would have to agree with you. I think it'd be. I don't think it's going to be a, a, a smammering. Uh, however, uh, I, I, I am going to be cheering extra loud. I would love nothing more than to see the Gamecocks upset. Georgia, and like I said, Monday I will. If it happens, you are definitely happens, going to help the me. The thing is, is uh, if we beat Florida and you beat Georgia, I'd still wear Garner on Monday. <laughs> Just because that'd Just be more because of a <laughs> that'd be more of a. By God, they beat Georgia. Heck yeah. Well, guys, that's about all the time we have for this episode of the Cocky Top Podcast. As always, uh, we definitely invite you to chime in with your predictions for yes. the scores, the outcomes of the different games. Um, as always, you can reach us, tldtube23 at gmail.com. Um, leave your predictions there if you want to ask us a question or anything like that. Um Make sure and reach out to us there. Also, don't forget to follow us on the different social platforms. Uh, that is going to be Legend Studios. Mm. Uh, and through there, you can find uh, Cocky Top. 
I would between say two we barrels. both will be posting during the game on our Facebook. Oh, page. absolutely! You're going to wind up seeing multiple posts, especially if from different perspectives. If if anything is going really well mm-hmm. for either team, you're definitely going to wind up seeing quite absolutely. a few posts. But until next time, all you cock and balls, I am Gamecock Brian. I'm all of all Tyler Mack. And we'll see you on the next one.